Good morning. Will you join me as I pray? Lord, thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. I pray this morning that we will learn from your text. We will be challenged on what it means to be equipped believers. Pray that you guide and direct my words. I pray that my words honor you and we honor your text. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts too for communion. What a time to come together as believers and remember what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you're going to do and today and how you're going to guide and direct us. And we give you the praise and glory for it. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're in a series called Discipleship. And um, we started this series quite a few weeks ago. And today I'm going to talk about the role of the church. But I want to go back to Matthew 28 and start there just to give us some context of where we're going to go. So in Matthew 28, he starts in 18 through 20. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with you when you disciple. It's an interesting text. He starts with His authority. Jesus says, I have authority to tell you what to do. And He says, He came to them, He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And He says, go. I've got a job for you to do. And it's for all of us. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Now, it's interesting that word observe, I highlighted it. It's the idea that you observe something and you do it in Greek. It's not the idea that you just watch it. You're involved in it. And then to clarify, he says, all that I've commanded you. There's over 40 commands that Jesus gave. And some of you wish it said some instead of all. And he says, when you do it, I promise I am with you always to the end of the age. So unique, this structure. He's saying, I've got authority and I'm going to tell you what to do. And it's for your good and I'll be with you. This series is about discipleship. And it's a command that Jesus gave to all of us. And so then we have to ask the question, how, how is this accomplished? And when we ask that question, we're really asking another question. What's the purpose of the church? Today we're going to look at that purpose in Ephesians chapter 4. But I want to give you some context Besides Matthew 28, I want you to go to chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, before we start into the rest of our text. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We call this the worthy walk in the New Testament. We've all been called to walk worthy of the Gospel. It's it's a walk that we should have now and we should keep growing in it. We don't stop walking in a worthy way. Let me give you a few more texts on this. First one's Colossians 1.10. says this, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit of every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This worthy walk bears fruit. It can be seen. And and you gain that fruit by knowing the Word of God. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Let me stop right there for just a second. To understand the worthy walk, you need to understand what it is to really live under a monarch. We don't have that concept. We live in a democracy. Jesus says, I paid the price for your sins. I love you. I made you. And I've got a life that's far better than anything this world can offer. So follow my commands. And you know the apostles and the disciples in the first century, they got it. And they followed after Christ and they were willing to not live like the world. It's this walk, it's this worthy walk that we are commanded to do. In 2 Thessalonians 1.5, he says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you've also suffered. Matt Chandler in his book, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain, he wrote this, there's a greater day coming. Aren't you excited about that? There's a greater reward coming. There's a greater life coming. And the purpose of life while we are alive is to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel which holds the promise of life everlasting. See, the purpose of life is to learn how to walk. It's to learn how to walk in a new way, not in our old ways. I remember my kids, when they were learning to walk, one of my sons, he could get up and put his back against the wall. And then my wife and I were like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he'd just look at us. No, and he'd get back down. Next day, he'd do that again. And he finally started taking a step. And he started to walk. And we went crazy, and then he tumbled and ate it. And we picked him up. And he went back, and he kept learning how to walk. And now he walks. Now he runs. And now he's old, which means I'm old. The purpose of life is to learn how to walk spiritually. 
And it happens in the context of discipleship. Specifically in the context of one-on-one discipleship. The most effective learning environment we have is one-on-one. I have a friend of mine that's an electrician. And he's a journeyman and he trains young electricians. And he tells the young electrician this. They're called apprentice. He says, I want you to look at me. I want you to watch how I do it. I want you to do everything the way I do it. Or you will die. Well, that gets your attention really quick. Now, I'm sort of a handyman, but I'm not an electrician. My dad was an electrician before he went into engineering. And we were putting a light in our house. And he said, hey, did you test that before you wire it? And I'm all, I turned the breaker off, Dad. And he said, no, that's not my question. Did you test it? Well, I went up on the ladder and I tested it. I found out what electricity feels like. No, I didn't test it. He says, you always test it. Or it will get you. Well, it got me. And I'll tell you right now, electricity is not fun. Almost knocked me off the ladder. But I learned. Now I test stuff before. I told my dad, I said, I turned that breaker off. He goes, well, let's go look at the breaker. The people that built the house bypassed the breaker. That's not a good thing. Some of you might know this. I, uh, I scuba dive, or I used to. And when I went through training, the instructor was really clear. You need a partner. You don't dive alone. You dive with somebody else. And I said, no, what I need is air. I don't need a partner. He goes, no, you got air on your back. But you need a partner because if you run out of air, that partner can help you get to the surface. So they train you how to take care of somebody else. And you learn. And my buddy that I went scuba diving with for a lot of years, we knew how to take care of each other. Because he said it's more important to survive. And that's why you need somebody around you. And a ton of vocations, they train you, they mentor you on how to do your job. In the church, we need to do the same. Jesus had it down. So, it's the most effective way to teach somebody. So it leads me to ask the next question, what's the purpose of the church? There's multiple purposes for the church. Let me just give you four. This isn't going to be a sermon about ecclesiology. That'd be way too long. One of the reasons is we come here to worship our Lord and Savior. We come here as a body of believers to worship God. The second thing is, we learn the Word of God and we learn the Gospel. This is our authority. We need to be in it and learning it. And we learn the extent of our salvation. Another thing the church is about, we participate in God's ordinances. We're going to take communion today. Christ commanded us to do that in remembrance of what He did for us. A fourth thing, the mission of the church is to equip believers. So if you've got your Bibles, turn now to 4, chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we're going to look at 
11 and 12. And Jesus starts with this. He says, and He gave, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, He gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to, underline this circlet, to equip, who? The saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Scripture calls you a saint. So you should look around and go, I'm sitting with a bunch of saints. Some of you are looking around and going, I'm sitting with a bunch of sinners. You know what we are? We're saved sinners. And Scripture refers to us as saints. And saints have a job. But He gave four groups. Let's look at these groups real quickly. The first one was apostles. This is a group. They, they were sent with a commission. It's a restricted group. There's only 12 of them mentioned plus Paul. And later on, Matthias replaced Judas. Jesus had many disciples, but He only selected 12 to be divinely appointed representatives. They were the ones to lay the foundation for the church. That was their job. They laid the foundation for the church, and we know that from Ephesians 2.22. It was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Then He says prophets. Prophets refers to those designated to speak on God's behalf. The New Testament prophet was the one who proclaimed the Word of God. We know that from Acts 11 and Ephesians 3.5. Believers in the New Testament, they did not possess the Bible in the first century. It was being compiled and coming together. So prophets spoke, and they were the ones that penned the New Testament. They had laid the foundation. We have everything we need to know to have a relationship with the living God right here. And a number of us have way too many of these in our house. Some of us are collecting dust. We need to be reading them no matter which ones you have. We have everything we need to know. They laid the foundation, the apostles and prophets. Then he mentions the evangelist. The bearer of good news. That's what it means to be evangelist. They bear good news. The evangelists and the pastors, they, they are used to build the structure of the church. Now, oftentimes I hear people say this to me. They go, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm like, yeah, you probably don't. But you're called to evangelize. An evangelist is a little different term in Scripture. We often refer to them as missionaries. They will be trained to go someplace to share the gospel. They're very gifted in doing it. But I will tell you, everybody in this room, if you know Jesus Christ, you better know your story and how you came to know Christ, and you better be able to share it. It's the most important message we have is to be ready at any moment to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and some particularly have that gift. Then you got shepherds and teachers. God specifically gave leaders, including pastors, elders, and that's a synonym, and teachers to teach believers doctrine, to train them to serve, to help bring unity to the church, to protect them, to help believers look more like Christ. And they're to equip the saints for ministry. So in verse 12, it says, what's the, or it gives us, what is the purpose of equipping the saints? Verse 12 tells us to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone in here, if you know Jesus Christ, you're equipped, or you should be being equipped to minister. We're all called to minister. Our ministry goes outside of the church. That's where we encounter people. Equip saints, they minister effectively. Equip saints, they mature. Equip saints, they disciple. So why is it so important to build up the body of Christ? I knew you were thinking of that question. Look at Ephesians 4.14. says this, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Scripture points out to us we're prone to a lot of bad things. We're prone to false teaching. Scripture describes us as sheep. We have sheep that live next door to our house, and they're dumb. Scripture describes us, believers, as sheep. And oftentimes, we're prone to false teaching. Second thing we're prone to is envy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, it says this, But brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. You're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? We struggle with false teaching. We struggle with envy. We struggle with idolatry. Not in the sense that we have a a statue. Listen to what Scripture says about this. In in Colossians 3.5, he says, Therefore, put to death what that belongs to the worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is all idolatry. We struggle with those things. We struggle with pride. I was telling a guy between services, pride is the overarching sin of all of our sins. Our pride gets in the way. James 4.16 says this, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So the goal, 
the goal of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The task of the elder, the pastor, the teacher is to equip believers to minister to others, mean to go out and disciple others. I look at this group and I look at a lot of people. And I, and I have to ask the question, what would our church be like if every one of us was discipling another person? Wow. Would there be excitement that we could not contain? And guess what our church would look like? Acts chapter 2. We would be just like the church in Acts. See, God created you. God saved you. And he's got a purpose for your life, and that's to invest in another soul. I remember one time my wife said, you know, I totally get what you're saying, but, but who? And I said, God gave us four kids. Start with them. Now we've grown to the point, my wife's discipled quite a few other ladies. I, I love to disciple people. It, it gives you life because you're doing what Christ called you to do. And guess who grows? when we disciple another person. Not, not just the person we're discipling. We do. I'm always growing when I'm discipling another man. Because they ask you challenging questions and you go, whoa, I better look that up. Oh, I better do that too. Look at the results of equipped disciples. The results of equipped believer in 13 through 14. He says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Grammatically, there's, there's three attains in this text. The first one is we attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The church is to help us to know the essential truths of the Bible, to know God in an intimate way. That's what the church does. We want to grow. We want to mature. We've got everything right here to teach us how to grow and mature. The second thing is to attain mature manhood. It's actually a twofold. One is individual maturity. That's where you take a self-assessment and say, Lord, how am I growing? What areas do I need to work on? I love it when I'm meeting with a man. And I like to start with this question, hey, how you doing? How you growing in your relationship with Christ? And then for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I'm hearing them go, blah. And they're saying, I need to work on this and I need to work on that. And I go, okay, let's, let's work on it. Let's get to it. Because I want them to walk the worthy walk. How are we doing individually? How are you doing individually in maturity? And the second thing is, part of this maturity is corporate. How are we doing as a church? How are we maturing? How are we assessing what is truth? What is falsehood? What is heresy? 
What is godliness? How are we doing that as a corporate body? And then the third. Attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal of the church. Would be that we grow up and we become like Christ. You want to know what you're supposed to look at? Look like? Get in the Gospels. Christ says, I want you to be like me. So that when the world looks at us, they get a glimpse of Christ. When the world says, man, you know, our world's going crazy. Amen to that. Believers, we should have joy. Because that's, the world's not our king. It's not our destiny. And the world should notice, why, why are you at peace when everything else is going crazy? Ah, oh, let me tell you why. I know my Lord and Savior, and He's in control. That gives me peace. You know what? I think it's one of the greatest ways to witness nowadays, because all the time, I was out here on Friday, and there was a guy doing a stucco patch, and I said, hey, I just want to thank you guys for coming out and helping our church. And he stopped me and he goes, can I talk to you for a second? And I go, yeah. He goes, nobody thanks us for what we're doing. Why do you guys do that? I said, because we care about you, not just the stucco on the wall. What a great conversation starter for the gospel. Our world's confused and we've got the answers. So a teen always has a goal in mind. And the goal is unity for us as a body of believers to be unified. And the purpose of that goal is to follow Christ's commands. And the results will be we won't be tossed around by weird teachings. We won't follow the deceitful schemes of the world. We won't be attracted to the wrong thing. Let's look at point three. Then the church will be healthy in 15 through 17. He starts off, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way. You notice it didn't say some. It said every way. To him who is the head into Christ from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We have to be equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And in 17 transition, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He gives three results of being spiritually equipped. He says, speaking the truth in love. It's a mark of maturity when we're able to share the truth with our fellow believers and we do it in love. Now, some of you are thinking more of the critical nature because that's sort of how we're trained. He's also referring to an encouraging nature. How do we encourage other people? How do we build other people? At our former house, we had about an acre of ha and a half of land. And 
my niece, when we first moved in, we had a little riding lawnmower. And my niece was, I think, either seven or eight years old. She goes, Uncle Dave, can I drive that? And I'm all, yeah, have fun. My wife and I are looking at each other. I didn't forget, but I had sprinkler heads that stuck up about that high. And not only did she destroy every one, she had a smile on her face because she's driving this little tractor. And my wife's looking at me because she knew all the work I'd put in. And my niece drove up and go, oh, Uncle Dave, this is so fun. Can I go again? And I go, you're doing a great job. Go ahead. There was only like two sprinklers left, and I think she ended up hitting those too. But it was more important to build into her life than to say, you're wrong. You ran over all those sprinklers. That would have devastated her. You know what I'm noticing? We're losing the art of encouragement. The younger generation, and this is for everybody that's old, we need to come up to these young people and say, man, I believe in you. You can do amazing things. That's what they're seeking. They need affirmation. That's a mature Christian. A mature Christian is not one that finds the little nuance that's wrong. What they do is they build into them. Then you can work on the little nuance. So speaking the truth in love. Second thing is stability. Mature Christians will not be tossed around because they know the Word of God. They know truth. And so when they encounter falsehood, they go, no, I'm not going to be tossed around anymore. I'm going to stand for truth. Warren Wiersbe said this, truth unites, but lies divide. Love unites, but selfishness divides. Therefore, speaking the truth in love, let us equip one another and edify one another that we may all grow up and be more like Christ. I think he nailed it. The third characteristic in this text is character transformation. That's the worthy walk. Our character needs to be transformed. See, the idea in Scripture is you're dead. And Christ makes you alive. And he says... I want to change who you are. I want you to go from being a great sinner to being a great saint. And I'm going to have to chip away on you. I want to transform who you are. I want you to go from being angry to being loving. From being impatient to patience. And the list goes on. Jesus is in the business of transformation. And he loves to do it in the context of discipleship. It's called the worthy walk. And when each of us are doing that, it creates unity in the body of believers. Then he says, do not walk according to your former life. And he says, do not imitate your present evil environment. I think we can show that picture now of in Ephesus, they had a place called the Temple 
of Diana. And it, that's what the Romans called it. The Greeks called it Artemis. And in Ephesus, if you wanted to work in that society, you had to go and participate in the pagan practices in that temple. I'm not going to describe that, what they did, because there's a lot of different ages in here. But it was extremely pagan and extremely bad. And what happened in Ephesus, when they preached the gospel, people would accept Christ. And when they accepted Christ, they would have to quit their job because they would not go in there and participate in the drugs and all the other things that happened in there. So they would lose their job. But other believers would come alongside them and say, we're going to help you. We're going to take care of you. And what his point in this last verse, in verse 17, he's saying, now I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In our day and age, we'd say, stop walking like the world. Stop being like the world. That was their world at that time. But these people, the church grew rapidly because people said it's more important to know Christ than be approved by the world. Wow, to take that step, you're going to have to have somebody with you walking down that path. That's why Jesus, when He says, go, make disciples, it's going to impact the world. That means you're going to care for somebody when they're going through tough times. See, the problem is sometimes we encounter hypocrisy. We say, I want Jesus, I want, I want salvation, but I don't want you to be my Lord. And it gives a hypocritical message. And that hypocrisy, it destroys unity in the church. It destroys equipping. And it destroys maturity. So, so let me give you three, or in conclusion, three points. First one is this. The worthy walk is seen in how we treat others. I mean, if you think about it, God created every person you've ever encountered. Some aren't believers and some are. How are you treating them? Do they see Jesus in you? Second thing is the worthy walk allows Christ to transform our character. God's in the business of transforming our character. The worthy walk obeys Christ's command to make disciples. These are great indicators to know how you're growing and being equipped. They're great indicators of spiritual growth. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be equipping people and sending them out so they impact the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that you challenge us greatly to, to live radically different. And that... And that why we even celebrate communion is because you went to the cross. 
You paid the price for our sins. And you want us to live in a way that represents you and your kingdom. So I pray for us that we become equipped saints. I pray for our church leadership that our passion is to equip people to minister well, to to mature people so they know how to live. So Lord, guide and direct us and help us grow in that. And we'll give you the praise for it. In your precious name, amen. Well, now we're going to take communion together. Um, If you didn't get a cup, you can run out and grab one. There's some in the back. Um, But as I was preparing this, I was so intrigued with Matthew 28 that the very end in Matthew 28, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. You know, Jesus went to the cross to pay the ultimate price for our sins. It's something you and I couldn't do. And Jesus did it. But he did it not only to save you, but to transform you. Because you're going to live as a transformed being in heaven. I can't wait for that day that we don't have the burden of sin with us anymore. And Jesus went to the cross. And he says, I want you to remember that. Christ died for you and for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this together and I'm going to pray first. And think about, he also says, examine yourself. It's not just about sin. It's about how are you living? How are you living with Christ? Is Christ your priority? How are you growing and how are you maturing? So we're going to pray. Then we're going to take the bread together, and we'll take the cup together. So Lord, prepare our hearts to be reminded of what you did for us. I'm so amazed that you went to the cross for all of us. And you paid the price to renew our life, to change us, so that we can live with you throughout eternity. And you gave us this amazing reminder of a, of a cup and a, and a piece of bread. And I pray that we never forget it. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts. And we give you the praise for it. Amen. So take the bottom part. Take this little thing off. And, you know, I had somebody ask me, they said, these don't taste very good. They are gluten-free, so really anybody can have one. But you know what? I've sort of liked that it doesn't taste good because going to the cross was a bitter thing. And he says, I want you to remember that I died for you. And so he says this. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. To me, that passage is mind-blowing. He, he knew he was going to be betrayed. And he knew he was going to go to the cross. And he took out bread. And he said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Go ahead and flip it over to the cup side. And then he said this, in the same way he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant meant now we, when you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he says, that Spirit's going to change you and mature you. And he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming. So let's take the cup. Lord, thank you for using this bread and cup to remind us of what you did for us. I pray that we never forget it. I pray that we always practice it, either here or in our home, so that we're reminded of the extent of what you did for us to save our souls. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In your precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, let's close our time with singing about him.